0: straight from the street, this is the Ditch Doc EM Podcast, bringing you emergency medical education for paramedics, nurses, and EMTs. Here's your host, Owen Wood. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. So right now we're only a few hours away from fall 2017, which means a lot of good things for a lot of different people. The kids are back in school, the days are going to start getting shorter here, so you'll be able to spend some evenings outside with a bonfire, whatever you like to do, and the weather is really cooling down, which is something that I think everybody here in North Carolina appreciates, and probably in a lot of other places too. And one thing in particular that I like about the fall is that it's more conducive of an environment to go on a morning run. Because here in North Carolina, it just is not fun running in the summertime, no matter what time of day it is. It could be two o'clock in the morning and you get 200 yards down the road and you feel like you're drowning just because of so much humidity. So the fall time is way better for going on a run. You get some cool air to breathe in. It's refreshing. You come back and you aren't drowning and dehydrated. And when I talk about today's topic, I want you to think about that jogger going on a morning run. doesn't have to be you. If you hate running, no big deal. Just think about somebody going on a morning run in the fall time, and they're breathing in that cool air, and after they're going for a little while, muscles are really starting to get warmed up, and their body in general is using a lot more oxygen than it would be if they were just sitting at home on the couch. So I want you to think about that. And in today's episode, we're going to cover the dreaded oxyhemoglobin dissociation curve. A lot of people look at the oxyhemoglobin dissociation curve and it kind of looks scary and it's something that they really feel like they don't want to deal with. But all in all, it's really not that difficult of a concept. And it's an important concept that everybody should have at least a basic understanding of. And so what I'm going to try to do is just really basically explain how it works and what kind of information you can gain from it. So when we're talking about the oxyhemoglobin dissociation curve, we're usually talking about a graph. And if you're not familiar with it, there is an image of it on the show notes. And this graph has an S-shaped line of best fit. And what that line of best fit represents is the percentage of hemoglobin that are saturated with oxygen depending on the partial pressure of oxygen in the blood, that dissolved oxygen. Now on your x-axis, you're going to have the partial pressure of oxygen. And on the y-axis, you're going to have the oxyhemoglobin. Oxyhemoglobin, if we recall, is the hemoglobin that is saturated with oxygen. If it were saturated with carbon dioxide, it would be carboxyhemoglobin. So you could just think about this as the O2 saturation. So when you're looking at the oxyhemoglobin dissociation curve, you'll probably notice that the partial pressure of oxygen in the blood that's required to get us to an O2 saturation of 94-ish is right around 80. And that's why if you look at arterial blood gas analysis, they'll say that the O2 should be around 80 to 100. And that's because that's not the same thing as the O2 saturation. That saturation that you're looking at, remember, is the percentage of hemoglobin or oxyhemoglobin that are bound with oxygen. Whereas the PO2 is the partial pressure of oxygen that's dissolved in the blood. And when you're looking at the curve, you can see that the greater the partial pressure of oxygen, the greater the percentage of oxyhemoglobin. So if you have a leftward shift, what that means is that a lower partial pressure of oxygen will achieve the same oxyhemoglobin saturation percent as normal. Conversely, a shift to the right means that a higher partial pressure of oxygen will be required to achieve the same Oxyhemoglobin percentage. So, another way to think about it is that a shift to the right is going to mean that oxygen will have less of an affinity for hemoglobin, and a shift to the left will mean that oxygen will have more affinity for hemoglobin. So, what could cause one of these shifts to take place? So, let's talk about a shift to the left first. So, some of the things that can cause that shift to the left are number one high ph which remember that the higher the ph the more basic it is so that is going to be alkalosis a decreased temperature can cause a left shift along with decreased co2 and fetal hemoglobin fetal hemoglobin is inherently shifted left at all times and that is so that fetus can go ahead and snatch out all that oxygen that it needs for mom. Now, what kind of things are going to cause a shift to the right? Well, to start out, a low pH, which remember that low pH number is going to be an acid. So acidosis will cause that right shift, along with increased temperature, increased CO2, and an increase in 2,3-BPG, which 2,3-BPG is the short name for 2,3-bisphosphoglyceric acid. And without getting way, way deep and off into the weeds about what 2,3-BPG is, just know that it is a byproduct of glycolysis. Because if you remember the red blood cells, they have no mitochondria They have no nucleus, they are just a bag of hemoglobin, and the 2,3-BPG is a byproduct of glycolysis, which is the only way they can make energy. Now, sometimes that 2,3-BPG would be elevated, uh, would be in patients who have anemia, or patients who have chronic hypoxia, like your COPDers, or even your patients with congestive heart failure. So earlier I said that these left and right shifts do naturally happen in the body depending on the location. So now go back and think to either you or that person who is out running on their morning fall run and think about the blood circulating through their cardiovascular system and think about where it's going. And they take in that real deep breath, that cool fall air. Now that cool fall air is cooling down inside of their lungs. That cool fall air that they're breathing in also doesn't have a lot of CO2 in it. So just those two things right there are going to start causing a little bit of that leftward shift. And if you remember, that shift to the left means that hemoglobin and oxygen are going to like each other a lot more. They're going to have that higher affinity, which is perfect because that's where oxygen needs to jump on that train. So that hemoglobin is now good and oxygenated and it's traveling around to the body and it makes its way right down to the leg. And if you're still thinking about your runner, his legs are on fire. They are burning because he has been really working hard on this run. He's trying to get his time down because he didn't run all summer and his legs are just burning up. So if we go back and think about some of those things, that cause a right shift, well, one of them is an increased temperature, which those muscles, they're contracting, relaxing, contracting, relaxing. So there's a lot of energy production happening down there inside the cells. And some of the waste products of that energy production are, of note, carbon dioxide and lactic acid, both of which are going to make things a lot more acidotic down there. So the pH is lower, the temperature is higher, and there's an increase in the partial pressure of carbon dioxide. So this is going to result in a right shift in the oxyhemoglobin dissociation curve. And if you remember that right shift means that oxygen is going to have less affinity for the hemoglobin. But in this case, that's good because The cells there that are working, those muscle cells that are working, they need that oxygen. So, by having that right shift and the affinity lessening, now the oxygen's hopping off there and going and jumping in the cell. So, we can see how these small left and right shifts, depending on location, can actually help the body perform the tasks it needs to and run like clockwork. However, When these left and right shifts become a global problem, there is a global left shift or a global right shift, that's when things get to be not so good. So if we have a global shift to the right, that patient who would normally have a 94% saturation with a partial pressure of 80 is now going to require an even higher partial pressure of maybe 95 or 100 just to reach that 94% O2 saturation. And if we have that global left shift, then there's going to be so much attraction between the oxygen and the hemoglobin that the oxygen just doesn't ever want to get off and go to the cells where it's needed. So this can also be just as bad of a problem. And going back to the right shift, that right shift means that a higher partial pressure of oxygen is required in order to achieve the same saturation. And this is why you may have heard that if you have a patient who you're providing ventilations for and they have good chest rise, good lung compliance, and you're running supplemental O2, but they're just not getting their saturations up, you're going to want to apply PEEP. Because by applying that PEEP, now you're forcing more oxygen and raising the partial pressure of oxygen in the blood so that they can achieve that saturation even with the right shift in effect. Now, is there any way to actually measure or quantify this left and right shift and figure out if your patient is having the left and right shift? Not really. But understanding this concept is going to give you a lot more insight in how to better manage your patient, depending on their condition and their circumstances. The Ditch Doc EM podcast is sponsored by Recess Threads. Stop by recessthreads.com to check out all of our casual styles for classy resuscitationists. So real quick recap, that left shift, you're gonna think it normally happens in the lungs and everything is low. Low temperature, low partial pressure of CO2, and low acid. And with that right shift, that's happening in the muscles, everything is gonna be higher. There's going to be higher acid, higher temperature, higher CO2, and possibly higher 2,3 BPG. Well, that about wraps it up for the show this week. I really want to thank you for listening. This episode was probably the most challenging I've done yet trying to explain the oxyhemoglobin dissociation curve via a podcast. So let me know what you thought about it. Also, Please take a moment and give the show a rating in iTunes. It would really, really help out a lot. This episode was another that I've had several suggestions for. So please keep those suggestions coming because I really want to make sure that I'm delivering content that you guys actually want to hear. Don't forget to be safe out there on the streets. And I'll catch you guys in the next one. The content of the Ditch.EM podcast is based on evidence, fact, and the recommendations of credible sources. Always refer to the protocols and guidelines established by your institution. The views expressed are those of Owen Wood and Ditch.EM in their entirety.